The glorious return of Jesus Christ is the blessed hope of the church. And for that reason, it is also cause for a great celebration in heaven, as the Apostle John records happening in chapter 19 of the revelation of Jesus Christ. John writes, After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven, crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Have you made a strong commitment to live your life in anticipation of the soon return of Jesus Christ? Doing so means renewing your commitment to His church, the Word of God, a holy life, and party time in heaven. I'm Ron Jones. Something good starts right now. It's the most talked about event in Bible prophecy, and it's talked about the most in the book of Revelation. Hello, welcome to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. My name is Brian, thanks for tuning in today. Almost from the moment sin entered in the world, God's word began to tell us about a coming redeemer, the one who would take away the sin of the world. Today, Ron takes us to Revelation chapter 19, where the second coming of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, is spoken of in great detail. Stay right here now or visit somethinggoodradio.org and listen to the broadcast on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. From his teaching series, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ. Here's Ron with today's Something Good Radio message, The Glorious Return of Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to go back in your mind's eye 2,000 years ago. Imagine that you're in the city of Jerusalem, actually just outside the ancient holy city. You're standing on a mountainous area known as the Mount of Olives. And you're standing there with Jesus and his disciples. It's about 40 days after his resurrection. You've been hearing that he has raised from, was raised from the dead and has appeared in many places. We, we refer to those as the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, and there were many of them, not just to a person here or a person there. Uh, there was one time up to 500 people that saw him, the Scripture says. The last post-resurrection appearance of Jesus actually happened uh, just prior to what we know as his ascension when he ascended back to the Father. You're there with the disciples, imagine, and the disciples have one more question as they're standing there with Jesus. They ask him, Lord, is, is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You see, several days earlier at the beginning or maybe the midpoint of Holy Week, the dis three of the four of the disciples stood with Jesus right there in that same spot on the Mount of Olives, and they were asking him questions about the end of the age and, you know, prophecy questions, and he delivered his Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24 and 25, but they still had some lingering questions. Is this the time, now that you've risen from the dead, is this the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And you know what Jesus said to them? And I'm paraphrasing here, but you can read about it in Acts chapter 1. He said, guys, don't bother yourself with that right now. It's not for you to know the times and the seasons that the Father has appointed by His authority, I think are the exact words in your Bible. 
In other words, there are some things that will remain a mystery. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and says, in the meantime, while the Father is taking care of this, all right, you just let him do that. In the meantime, you shall be my witnesses. I want you to wait right here in Jerusalem. Wait for the coming Holy Spirit. And when he comes, then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the othermost parts of the earth. And then something else happened. Acts chapter 1 tells us that a cloud formed around Jesus and it lifted him into the sky. We know this as his ascension. And as he ascended into heaven, the Bible says two men stood by them, that is the disciples in white robes, probably angels, heavenly visitors. And they said these words to the disciples, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? <laughs> Can you just see them with their jaws dropped to the ground? Where'd he go? Where'd he go? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is just one of many, many places in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, that predict what we call the second coming of Jesus Christ. The second coming of Jesus Christ, His glorious appearing, is uh, the most anticipated event in Bible prophecy. Can I say that again? It is the most anticipated event in Bible prophecy, certainly from the standpoint of the church, from this moment in Acts chapter 1 moving forward, the most anticipated event in Bible prophecy. Yes, even more anticipated than the rapture of the church. Because with the rapture, he comes for us, and in the twinkling of an eye, we're gone. But at his second coming, we come with him. When he came the first time, he came as a servant, as a sacrifice for our sins, and as our Savior. The second time he comes will be as a warrior, a judge, and a king. And the second coming of Jesus Christ is the most talked about, the most predicted, uh, the most anticipated event in Bible prophecy. And quite frankly, when it comes to a study of Revelation, uh, the book of Revelation, everything leading up to chapter 19, which gives us the most detailed description of the second coming of Jesus Christ, everything up to that point is prelude. Because the main character of the book of Revelation is Jesus, and the main event that we're all waiting for and anticipating and, and saying, even so, come, it, it's, the, it's the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have come to Revelation chapter 19, and this is such an important event that even the apostle Paul in Titus chapter 2 and verse 13 says, waiting for our, listen to this, our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul called the second coming of Jesus Christ the blessed hope of the church above any other event in Bible prophecy. There's no other event that, that captures the idea of a blessed hope more than the second coming of Jesus Christ. Somebody once said man can live about 40 days without food, about three days without water, about eight minutes without air, but only about one second without hope. And we live in a, a fallen, sinful world that sometimes can plunge us into despair. The hope for the church of Jesus Christ, the blessed hope of the church, is that Jesus is coming again. 
And we need to talk about that and detail that in the book of Revelation. Again, everything leading up to Revelation chapter 19 is prelude. And even leading up to verses 11 through 16, which is the most detailed description of the second coming of Jesus Christ found anywhere in the Bible, although it's detailed in many, many places, but this one being the most detailed description, the verses leading up to verse 11 are prelude. And and that prelude highlights a couple of things for us. First of all, there's a great cause for celebration in heaven, beginning in verses 1 through 5. Let me read them for us. Revelation 19, beginning in verse 1, John says, After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for His judgments are true and just, for He has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of His servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! Say that word with me, Hallelujah! The smoke of her goes up forever and ever, and the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen. Here it is again. Say it with me. Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you His servants, you who fear Him, small and great. A cause for a great celebration going on in heaven. John sees it. He writes it down for us. I just read it for you. And if I were to go on and read verse 6, we would have have read four separate times that the word hallelujah is sung. It means praise the Lord. It's the only time in the New Testament that the word hallelujah appears, and it appears four times in the first six verses of Revelation chapter 19. Why? Because there's a cause for a great celebration in heaven. They're celebrating, celebrating, first of all, the vindication of God's righteousness and holiness, Because there are references in those verses I just read to the beast and the false prophet and the evil world system that they have developed, that all of that has gone up in smoke. Babylon the great has been destroyed. And you say, well, how can heaven, how can can Christians rejoice when human beings are destroyed on earth? Listen, friends, we're living in that time known as the age of grace, the age of the church, and this is a gracious time where God is gracious to us. The rain falls on the just and the unjust, but there's coming a day. There's coming a day, the great and terrible day of the Lord, the Scripture says, when God will change His disposition toward us on this earth. And you can be rescued from that through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the church, as I understand, is translated from this earth, raptured out of this earth, and then all hell breaks out on this earth for seven years, culminating in the return of Jesus Christ to vindicate the righteousness and the holiness and the justice of God who has been patient and long-suffering ever since man fell in the Garden of Eden. There's also great cause for celebration because of the anticipation of the return of Jesus Christ. Now, nobody knows the day or the hour of the return of Christ. Jesus made that clear. Only the Father knows. It's a closely held secret, and there's no leakage in heaven, all right? There are no loose lips in heaven because only the Father knows the day or the hour. Not even Jesus knows. The angels don't know. Some Bible teacher that you're listening to right now or some other place doesn't even know. And if he does suggest or she suggests that she does know, it's a false prophet. 
I'll just say it. Because Jesus says, nobody knows the day or the hour. So don't waste your time with calculations and all that kind of garbage. But there's great cause for celebration, not only because of the vindication of the righteousness and holiness and justice of God, but also because of the anticipation of the coming of Jesus. Still ahead, the second half of Dr. Ron Jones' Something Good radio message, The Glorious Return of Jesus Christ. Need prayer today? Visit somethinggoodradio.org to share your request, and our ministry team will be happy to join you in prayer. Simply use the Explore option at the top of the homepage. Then scroll down to the How Can We Pray For You icon. And while you're there, select the Library tab and find a host of great resources at our online store. Again, the web address is somethinggoodradio.org. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. The mystery is profound, but I'm speaking of Christ and the church. If you're wondering what marriage has to do with the second coming of Christ, you're about to find out in the rest of today's Something Good radio message, The Glorious Return of Jesus Christ. Once again, here's Dr. Ron Jones. Uh, The second thing that we see in these opening verses is a reminder of the significance of marriage. Let's read on in verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of many peals of thunder crying out. Here it is again. Say it with me. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. Now listen to this. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. What in the world does marriage have to do with the second coming of Jesus Christ? Well, friends, the meaning of marriage is far deeper and more significant than our culture understands. And the meaning and significance of marriage is far deeper, quite frankly, than what most Christians understand. You see, God created marriage. He created it all the way back in the Garden of Eden. And because God created marriage, He alone defines it, and He alone uses it as a picture all throughout the Bible of a spiritual reality. You see, your marriage and my marriage has a much deeper meaning than just our personal pleasure. And the sooner we understand that, the quicker we will quit messing with marriage. I lived in Texas for a number of years, 20 to be exact. My wife grew up in Texas. Our kids were born in Houston, Texas. You drive the freeways in Texas, you'll see signs that say, don't mess with Texas. All right? It's kind of an anti-littering thing, but it's a a great phrase. Don't mess with Texas. Well, let me tell you something. Don't mess with marriage. Don't mess with marriage. God created it. God defines it. And it has a much more significant and deeper meaning than any of us really think about or understand starting with the fact that the church 
in the New Testament is called the bride of Christ. We sang about it a few minutes ago. Like a bride waiting for her groom, we are the church ready for you. Do you know that Jesus is like a heavenly groom who's coming back to marry his bride? Don't mess with marriage. There's a spiritual significance to it and a deep spiritual meaning to it that goes way beyond just the human interaction. And your marriage and my marriage is a picture of this reality. Now, the devil knows the Bible better than most Christians do, and he knows that the marriage of the Lamb and the marriage supper of the Lamb is happening just prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Don't think for one moment that the devil doesn't want to mess with marriage in our culture, to mess up our understanding of it and to play around with the deep significance and meaning of it. It's exactly what he's doing. This is a spiritual battle in our culture. See beyond what you can see with the human eyes and see beyond the veil and see the spiritual battle that's going on right at the marriage altar in our culture today. What's all this business about the marriage of the Lamb? John mentions it in verse 7, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, His bride has made herself ready. Well, we need to understand ancient wedding customs as the disciples and people in the first century did. Those wedding customs are a little bit different than our customs today, but there were three stages to an ancient wedding. The first was when the parents of the bride and groom arranged the marriage. I know we don't have arranged marriages in our culture, but they did back then and for uh, their own reasons and perhaps good reasons, but they arranged the, the wedding uh, sometimes at birth. And when the time came for the wedding, the, the parents of the groom paid a dowry to the parents of the bride. Now, I, I was thinking about that the other day. Now, I have a daughter, <laughs> and I wouldn't mind getting a little ching-ching when... when Wedding time comes. That would be all right. Help me pay for the wedding, right? Well, that's the way they did it back then. They arranged the marriage, and it put the bride and groom in what's called the betrothal period. It was more legal than an engagement. There was no sexual relations during the betrothal. And during that time, and up to a year, the groom would actually go back to where he grew up, to his father's house. And he'd build on some rooms. He'd, he'd engage in a construction project because that's where he and his new bride were going to live in their father's house. You know, today we say, oh, no, no, no boomerangs, right? <laughs> well, you, you go make it on your own out there. But back in this time, he'd go back, he'd build these rooms. And, and the bride and her, her bride attendants knew that at some time in the future, maybe up to a year later, the groom and his groomsmen would come back to get his bride. It would always happen at a midnight hour. And they would come back. It was called the Midnight Torch Parade. They would come back to where the bride was. They'd have their torches. The, the groom was coming back to get her bride to take her back to her father's house. And they'd have the wedding celebration. And then the third stage was the wedding supper that followed. 
That's the picture Jesus has in mind here. This is the wedding of the Lamb, the wedding supper of the Lamb. It's the same imagery Jesus had in mind on the night before He was crucified when He's in the upper room with His disciples and He says to them, let not your heart be troubled, guys. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. He's talking like a heavenly groom. In My Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. Yeah, the, the little boy who grew up in a carpenter's house went back to his father's house, and he's adding rooms onto his father's house. I go to prepare a place for you, and my father's house has many rooms. I go there to prepare a place so that where I am, there you may be also, because one day I'm coming back to get you, he says. Again, don't mess with marriage. Marriage is God's idea, and it has a deeper spiritual significance than any of us could possibly imagine. And it shouldn't surprise us that as we come to the end of the age, to Revelation chapter 19, just prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ, marriage is at the center of this, the spiritual picture that it is. Hold your place in Revelation chapter 19 and go with me to Ephesians chapter 5 real quickly. One of the most uh, detailed sections of Scripture in the New Testament that talks about your marriage and my marriage, husbands and wives, and how we make this thing called marriage work is found in Ephesians chapter 5. And sometimes you wonder, is Paul talking about a real marriage between a husband and wife, or is he talking about this mystery, this mystery about the bride of Christ? You're listening to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. Today's message, The Glorious Return of Jesus Christ, is part of Ron's series, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ. Look for it under the Library tab at somethinggoodradio.org. Again, that's somethinggoodradio.org. Have you ever wanted to visit the land of the Bible and walk in the footsteps of Jesus? Join Dr. Ron and Catherine Jones and the Something Good Radio team for a thrilling Israel tour happening in January 2022. Experience a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. Walk down the Via Dolorosa. Visit Gethsemane where Jesus prayed and Calvary where he shed his blood for you. Step inside the empty tomb and see for yourself that your Savior is risen indeed. Is the Holy Land on your bucket list? Experience Israel 2022. Register at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Time is running out to make a reservation for Experience Israel 2022. To register today, look for Something Good Travel when you visit somethinggoodradio.org. The ministry of Something Good exists only through the faithful prayer and financial support from friends and listeners like you. When you give a gift this month, Ron will say thank you by giving you the complete audio download of the teaching series that you're hearing now, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ. That's Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth, and The Return of Jesus Christ. Request this 20-message series today when you make a gift to Something Good Radio. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. You can also call our offices, the number 757-276-1099.
I think it's interesting that the armies of heaven are clothed in, in, in pure white. Can you, can you imagine putting our, uh, our military in, in white battle gear? They get messed up in a second, right? But the armies of heaven, the saints of God, church age and otherwise, are, are, are coming with Jesus. The armies of heaven, they're riding on white horses too. But they never have to shoot an arrow or fire a gun or anything like that because Jesus fights this, this war with his words. In the same way that he spoke the worlds into existence and created everything by saying, let there be light and otherwise, he fights the enemies, the Antichrist and the false prophet with a sword that comes out of his mouth. One of the names that is mentioned here, he is the Word of God. He speaks the Word of God and defeats, defeats his enemies. And that's why the armies of heaven can still walk around in their white garments and not be soiled, as it were. That's tomorrow in part two of Dr. Ron Jones' message, The Glorious Return of Jesus Christ. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and all of us here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis. God bless and thanks for listening.